Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey PDO Cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and uh, joining me today is Carolyn Wilkie. Carolyn, what's going on? Not much. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm. Uh, we're going to be doing a, a deep dive of the Dallas Stars, which uh, I, I don't know. Can, I was we, gonna... not, can <laughs> we just like, talk about like happy, fun things for the next half hour or so? I mean, the like... thing is, is like you got to keep in mind. I mean, I'm not a Dallas <laughs> Stars fan, so talking about them is entertaining to me because I mean. <laughs> You know, I'm sure if you're cheering for them on a daily basis, it would be maddening and you'd be pulling your hair out. But just as an unbiased observer looking at it from the outside, I mean, I'm just so yeah. glad they exist in the form they do. Well, see, that's the problem, right? So the, the great thing about the Dallas Stars, and they converted so many people last year, uh, is that they, you know, they're high flying, super offense, all the goals, all the time. And then this year, it's like the opposite of that. Right. <laughs> Right. Yeah. So it's like the minute we're trying to gain some traction for getting the uh, all offense, no defense league running uh, backfires. Well, okay. So I, I feel like there's a lot of stuff for us to unpack here. I mean, I, this is probably a good time for us to have this chat because they're in the middle of their league mandated bye week and mm-hmm. there's a week left until the March 1st trade deadline. And I think I know where you lean, but they're one of these teams that are at an interesting crossroads where. You know, if you squint hard enough, you could conceivably talk to yourself into thinking they still have one last chance to kind of make a run here. But I mean, if you look at it realistically, you know, it's not even that there's six points back of the Flames or eight points back of the Predators. It's that there's so many teams in between them. And with with the point system, like it feels like every night these teams are going to be playing in these three point games where it's going to be so hard to make up that distance. So I think that, you know, we'd both kind of agree that they should be probably looking ahead to the future. I agree. Yeah, for sure. I think um, the biggest blow is knowing that, like, for once in our lives, we're really close to getting a very high pick, but it's, like, the worst draft to do that in. (laughs) Well, I don't know if it's that bad. I mean, I understand that... I mean, it could be worse. Like, I mean, it could be worse. I've, I've started seeing some mock drafts trickle in and stuff like that, and it's not like, you know, there aren't some good prospects out there, but also, like... Even if we get first overall, there's no way we're taking Connor McDavid, you know? Yes. And it's like, 
Well, there's definitely no no like generational talent of even like you know Matthews or Line or for free economic David. But the thing that that's interesting for their perspective is like let's say they wind up with a pick in like I don't know the five to eight range or something like that. Which right seems... now we're trending for number three. Okay, so... let's say they go number three. Um, the I feel like this draft has a lot of like extremely interesting defense prospects. And yeah. uh, if the stars have anything on this team right now, it's a lot of interesting defense prospects. Not that, you know, they're, they're like, they're a gold mine, especially if one pans out. I mean, just having a guy like that on an ELC is such a valuable asset in today's league. Oh, but sure. so you want as many of them as, as possible. But it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm very curious to see where they go if they just kind of keep adding to that strength or if they make the mistake of thinking they have too many of them and going the other way. Um, from what I can tell, and so here's, here's where the stars really stand right now is it, we don't even know who's going to be there to draft. Mm. It doesn't sound like, let's be very, very honest. Lindy Ruff isn't probably going to be around past this season. In fact, the entire reason he hasn't gotten fired right now is that no one else that is kind of on the, the coaching market is a particularly great replacement for this particular roster. Right. And so, but there's, it's unlikely, I can't find a conceivable way that they, the front office keeps him on given where they are current. Mm -hmm. So he's probably not going to be there. Right. There, there are rumors that Jim Nill might not even be there. Um, But I can, I mean, just so to, to try and predict out the draft is, well, okay, who are, who's doing the drafting, right, is a big thing. Now, if it is Jim Nill is still there, he gets the extra time to try and fix the mistakes of this year, then I think he's he's a guy who does tend to take the best prospect available, um, especially, like, the higher up you go. Right. Um, they had a pretty late pick last year, so Riley Tufty was, like, a little, I think, overvalued, but they were still, I think, drafting in the 20s. I can't remember their exact pick. So it wasn't like a huge go-off-the-board move, didn't do a Don Sweeney. Right. Um, and, you know, he's had he struggled the first bit of, of his college career, but he's really turned it on lately. So he definitely sounds like he's a prospect who has a ceiling that we're not, you know, hasn't gotten there yet. Um, but, yeah, so I think I think they will probably go with a, a good defensive prospect. Um, I think... Nil's very pragmatic about that kind of thing. He knows how much they're worth. Well, okay, before we... I I promise we'll talk about the future more uh, later in the show, but I feel like before we get there, we should probably try and figure out what's going on this year instead. Oh, I know that you're eager to uh, to jump ahead and kind of forget this ever happened, but like, where are you where are you at with Lindy Ruff? Because I know that you wrote at length about him, and and I read it, and I recommend everyone checks that out for more context. But just for the purposes of this discussion, like, do you think that? It, it's it's tough to evaluate him because of all the injuries they had, especially earlier in the year. And you know he was dealt kind of a a tough hand with the with the really young blue line after they let all those guys go in free agency. But do yep. you feel like he's done enough to optimize the guys he has had in the lineup on a daily basis? No, and that's really where I'm stuck. Um, Lindy has got, been dealt a really bad hand, and a lot of the the off season moves, which were all management, didn't help. Um, but I don't, he definitely is to the point where he's kind of only stuck in this one path. So last season, the stars were able to do so much run and gun offense in large part because the pairing of Goligoski and Klingberg were 
pretty much as perfect as you could be in a zone exit transition and getting the puck up ice. Mm-hmm. Um, and passes were going exactly where they needed to be. And everybody knew what everybody's job was. And anticipation was, you know, off the charts on both sides of the ice, whether you're talking forwards or defensemen. And this season, and then while there was a little bit of churn in the beginning of the year, I should say, with uh, the defense pairings, by the end of the season, you knew exactly which pairs were going to play every night. Right. And because he had found a couple of groups that he liked that just stuck. Like literally Klingberg played 99% of his minutes with Alex Goligoski. Mm-hmm. The only time Alex Goligoski didn't play with John Klingberg is when he was injured. Mm-hmm. So, and then you had, um, you know, a second pair of, uh, it was usually Johnny Oduya and Jason Demers. And then the third pair you had for most of the year, uh, Jordy Ben and uh, Yerky Yokopaka. And then after the Chris Russell trade, that kind of got switched up a little bit. Right. But he, once he finds something he likes, he's not afraid to stick with it. The problem this year is he's never found a single thing he likes. And then so then he finally hits on this top pairing of Essa Lindell and John Klingberg. And... Really, Essa Lindell is a slightly better Chris Russell. <laughs> and, That's and, very and, mean. And it, what did Essa Lindell do to you? No, nice. and I, I mean, that. And, and what it is, is he actually, you know, the things that Chris Russell, people like about Chris Russell in his zone, uh, Essa Lindell does very well. And in fact, actually, some of um, uh, Ryan Stimson's micro stats, uh, like preventing zone entries and stuff like that. Hmm. Um, I can't remember exactly if it was Ryan's stats or if it was um, Corey's stats, but some of the some of the preliminary uh, microstat research, he looks fantastic defensively. Like the way, like his zone, like um, zone entry breakups, right, are like off the charts in this small sample we have of the stars data, and I mean, and far and away better than anybody else on the team. Yep. But the problem ends up being when it's time, when we've recovered the puck and trying to get out of the zone. And last season, Klingberg was used almost as a fourth forward. And you'll see this like with Eric Carlson and some of the better teams too, you know, really offensive defenseman teams. Uh, So Goligoski would take care of that initial pass out of the zone. And that way Klingberg could join all the forwards going up the line, you know, going up to try and challenge the blue line and just really create a lot of havoc. Mm -hmm. And that's what worked really well for the stars. They, They worked best in havoc. But now because Lindell is, I mean, in his defense, he is a rookie. Like this is his first year in the NHL. So it's not like he's, you know, earned his space there through years of veteran experience. He, Whenever there's forechecker pressure on the on him, he just tends to panic a little bit, um, and he just doesn't have the kind of vision that Goligoski did to make that very first pass out of the zone. And so you're seeing, and then you combine that with the fact that there have been so many forward injuries that you've got lines kind of all over the place. That there's just not nearly as much anticipation, and so the passes are getting lost, they're getting broken up, and the stars are really getting stifled in the neutral zone because we can't make a good, clean exit. Yep. Well, I, I think I'm glad you got brought up the the Goligoski Klingberg pair because, like, I understand from the perspective, especially from Jim Nill's perspective, where he's looking at the big picture from a roster construction standpoint, like not 
kind of balking at the idea of giving Alex Goligoski a $30 million commitment or whatever he made, just because it, it is quite a bit of money and, and they had guys in the pipeline coming up. But the Klingberg thing is fascinating to me because I, I did notice that he spent like 2000 of his 2500 minutes or so at five on five in his first two seasons combined with Goligoski. So as you mentioned, they were like pretty much together for a very large majority of Klingberg's time in the NHL so far. And they really did start to play well together. It's, it's tough to describe to someone who hasn't watched them very closely last year, but like, it felt like when they got going, it just felt like the ice really was tilted at like a downhill where they're just like, the ball would just go down, be rolling down and they just get a full head of steam and it would just be one of the funnest things to watch in the NHL. And Klingberg this year has looked off to me. Like I, I, I know he's, his numbers have stabilized a little bit. I feel like as the year has gone along, but particularly early on, it felt like he was really struggling trying to find his footing without Goligoski. Do you think it's as simple as that? Or do you think it's like, you know, the league might have been started slowly adjusting to Klingberg and now he needs to make that adjustment back to put it in his own favor? Or what's going on with that? Um, I think it's a little bit of both, but I think it's more, more the fact that he was, didn't have a partner. Hmm. And then the thing the thing about these really, really vision-centric offensive defensemen, because Klingberg isn't, like, the fanciest skater in the world, um, and he's not even, like, a very fast skater, but he knows, he can see the play developing so much faster than so many other guys that he plays a very different style and a very anticipatory style. And so he was rotating through a bunch of partners early in the season and it just didn't work out and it didn't work out. And uh, so when he did end up getting with Lindell and sticking with Lindell, his game did stabilize. But the problem is that Lindell is just so, he suppresses offense so much. Like if you look at their, their defensive numbers, they're actually, I mean, they're not great, but they're no worse than the rest of the stars, right? Like they're not, the defensive liability. The entire team is slightly a defensive liability, but they're not a huge defensive liability. And, you know, that's it kind of what you've expected from the stars in the first place, right? So if we already are level setting that they're going to be slightly worse than average, mm. that's where these guys are. But their offensive numbers are actually quite down from where they were prior, right? where he was last year. And so that's really the problem is that they're, just getting underwhelming results. And part of it's because of the breakout scheme. And I, you've actually seen on the couple of games where they've played well, um, I was lucky enough to actually catch the uh, Carolina game in person. Hmm. They And they started doing this actually against the Sens too, which was a disaster of its own kind of sort. Uh, they have started out with Klingberg trying to make the initial play breakout and drawing that four checker to him. And because he's very calm under pressure, most of the time what he ends up doing is passing off the puck to Lindell. And then Lindell has, you know, time and space to make a good decision. Right. And it's when he Lindell gets flustered, he just makes bad decisions all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head there where it's like, Last year, they had you account for the fact they wouldn't have necessarily the best defensive numbers, but the offense was just you know so overwhelmingly good that it was kind of making up for it. You just take the good with the bad, but this year it hasn't really been able to balance out like that. And I know the the, the thing that that really mm-hmm. kind of catches my eye with just looking at their entire season as a whole is, you know, if I told you heading into the year that 
the stars would be where they're at right now. You'd the, the, the first kind of inclination would be just to suspect that the goaltending just completely fell apart. And, and that's a big reason why, but it's like, I, I know that all of the, all of the more nuanced models, whether it's, you know, don't tell me about hearts or, or Manny's or whoever's, when you see that, Niemi's kind of breaking even as a roughly league average and anti and uh Kari Lettinen is actually near the top with guys like Holpi and Bobrovsky and it's it, it's obviously the you know the penalty killing has been an entirely different thing but at 5 on 5 the the goaltending has actually been I I'd argue better than we could have hoped for heading into the year. Yeah, exactly. No, and and it's like if you had these goalies with the team you had last year, then it would have been an entirely different conversation. But no, and then you know, I, I if Dallas had upgraded goaltending over the summer and had gotten somebody who's a little bit better and a little bit more, you know, um, at the very least, better at penalty killing, right? <laughs> like, right. if you had gotten a better goalie over the summer, would we be, you know, third from the bottom in the league right now? No, probably not. Yeah. But also, it's really, really spurious to say, okay, well, this is a goalie problem, as so many people are wont to do, just because on a whole, it looks really bad, in large part because our penalty killing is so awful. Right. Well, that's the, that's the tricky balance where it's like, yeah, so there's six in the league as a team at five on five save percentage. And we know that, you know, going forward, that would probably be more predictive and also would tell us more about how the goalies themselves are performing because we know that, uh, f- you know, penalty kill save percentage is kind of more volatile and more team dependent. But it's like when they're 30th in the league at that, it's it's kind of tough to overcome right now. It's basically submarine large stretches yeah. of their season. So it's it's easy for us to just be like, oh, well, you know, that's not Kari Lettinen's fault and Anti Niemi's fault. And it, there's nothing you can really do other than just wait for it to pass. But it's like we're 60 games into the year here and that's they have the worst penalty killing unit in the league based on goal suppression. So it's a, it's a pretty big problem. It's it's a it's a huge problem. <laughs> and it doesn't help that our, our power play isn't much better. Like, and they've got 10 shorthanded goals against it this year hmm. already. And I mean, so, and that, and that does come back to coaching, right? So what we were talking about with, with Lindy Ruff is like, we've had Lindy Ruff for, you know, since what is 2013, 14. Yep. And at no point in time is our penalty kill and our power play been great. You know what I mean? Like, they've never been really, like, one in the league, two in the league, three in the league. And with guys like Sagan and Ben and Spezza, you should probably be the number one or number two or number three power play in the league at some point. And yet, no. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a good way to put it. Well, okay, I want to talk to you about Jamie Ben here for a second because... Um, if you're making a list of the reasons why the season's gone the way it has for the stars, he uh, his play would be much lower on the list. There's there's much bigger concerns, some of which we've outlined so far. But I did notice that you know while he's hovering at a roughly around a point per game pace, so it's like if you just looked at the box car counting totals, you wouldn't think anything's off. But if you look a little deeper at his five on five numbers, they're definitely um, trending in the wrong direction. I'd say. I mean, particularly from a shot generation perspective, where that was an area that he was absolutely one of the league's top guys at for a while. And 
I, I guess some of it might just have to do with the fact that he's playing a ton of minutes. So it's tricky to expect that, you know, if you're playing 15, 16 minutes a night early on in your career, you're, you're, you're killing it on a per minute basis. And then all of a sudden you start playing more. It's, it's, it's tough to just kind of extrapolate those numbers. But at the same time, even when you compare it to last year or the year before that, or, or especially 2013, 14, which is where he kind of seemed to peak, it's like the scoring chances are down, the attempts are down. And I just wonder how much of that is, is the fact that he's now 27, 28 years old. Like, I, I know that for, it, it seems for a lot of people, like, you'd think, like, what are you talking about? Like, he's, like, just entering his prime now, which is what we thought for a long time. But if you look at some of these aging curves, particularly for, for goal scorers, it does seem like he might be out of his prime at this point, which is a scary thought considering. No, where no. He, you, you don't think so? No. So what happened, and... This is still partially speculation, but partially like alluded to in certain interviews. Um, he was he was nursing some sort of injury for the first half of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, you could I mean it, you could see it in his play, literally. Um, and then for me, the big one was that. Um, so Jamie Ben has the kind of a almost an Alex Ovechkin vibe, right? So he's a bull on the ice. He'll throw the weight his weight around, but he's still got great hands. He can still do all the other things right. Right. Um. Jamie Benn wasn't hitting anybody hmm. for the first half of the season. So if that and and the stars, as you well know, couldn't possess the puck for the life of them. So you would think, okay, our main hitter, Jamie Benn, has led the led the team in hits for the last three or four years. If the guy who hits everybody doesn't have the puck and isn't hitting everybody, something's probably wrong. And you can also see like his really um, his tight end scoring chances went down. He was afraid to get to the net. He wasn't getting into those body battles. He was injured for the first part of the year and still playing 20 something minutes a night like he does. And for a long time, nobody would kind of admit it. And then he actually got for real injured, had um, an ankle issue and had to go out and they were talking so after that happened, they kind of said, oh, yeah, like he was working through something else earlier this season, too. But he's actually gotten back to where he what we would call vintage Jamie Ben. The last mm. couple of performances from him have been really good. I think the other thing that's really affected his numbers and and pretty much everybody else's numbers has was the injuries. And the fact that he was, you know, for the last couple of years, he's been playing alongside Tyler Sagan almost exclusively, you know, sometimes with Spezza, sometimes with Sharp, but nearly always with Tyler Sagan. And with all the injuries that happened, Lindy was basically forced to put Ben on one line with two bottom nine, you know, bottom six guys and Sagan on another line with generally two bottom six guys. I mean, the guy who's having the best year on the, on the Dallas stars right now is Antoine Roussel. Right. Because That's, he's been playing with Tyler Sagan almost yes, the whole season. That, that'll help. Like, yeah. like, go from Cody Eakin as your number one line mate to Tyler Sagan, and woo, things happen. Yeah, yeah, for, no, for sure. No, it, it's it, you know what. I, I hope you're right. Uh, I'm sure you are. You, you're following it much more closely than I am. I was just kind of caught my eye that he had been trending a bit in the wrong direction. Yeah, but, uh, no, it was really, really worrying for the first part of the season. But he's you can see it in his skating now. You can see it in the way he plays the game now that he's definitely feeling better. I think the all I think the All Star break. He didn't go to the All Star game this year, mm. and I think that was a huge part of why he's feeling better. Yeah. Um. So I feel like we've been kind of down or, or, or a bit gloomy so far let's talk about some positives um 
I think one of the one of my favorite one of my favorite guys to watch in the league this year, and I never thought I'd say this because he doesn't necessarily play the style of game that would just be like super uh, fan friendly or, or you know very explosive. But like Radic Fax is a guy who uh, I really has really caught my eye, especially the past handful of weeks. Um, would you, are, are, are you are you are you as uh, enamored with him as I am? I'm a huge Radic Fox fan. Mm. I'm a huge Radic Fox fan. Um, in fact, actually. I really started appreciating his game last season, right before the playoffs. So right before the playoffs, uh, Lindy put together a line of Fox on the center. And then his wings were uh, Antoine Roussel and Alish Hemsky. And for, I think it was something like the last 12 or 13 games rolling into the playoffs, they had something like an 80% goals for percentage. I mean, it was ridiculous watching that. Like no one else could touch the puck. And Fox is just such an an excellent like play driver. He will get that puck up ice. And the thing that's worked well with him is that he's not a great, particularly great shooter. Um, and that's why that that line with with Roussel and Hemsky was great because he had somebody who he could move the puck up ice. Roos would you know do what Roos does, which is cause havoc or mm, yep. be the little pit bull <laughs> on the puck. Right. And then anytime they could, they'd get it to Hemsky, and Hemsky would try and put it on net, and then one of them would go you know try and grab any rebounds they found. And with having that kind of you know, play driver, puck finder, shooter combo is something that that Lindy Ruff tends to really, really like uh, in his lines, and it just worked beautifully. Um, and and so he's really kind of, I think, missing his that kind of shooter presence on his line. Um, but actually, he was working pretty well with um, Curtis McKenzie and Brett Ritchie, with Ritchie playing in that shooter role. Yep. Um, as well, but yeah, no, he's he's a gem. Yeah. Roddick Fox is a gem. I'm a big Roddick Faxel fan. Uh, I I, re- I recommend anyone listening if uh, you if there are still some uh, shares available to buy online somewhere, I would uh, I would buy all the Roddick Faxel stock I can. Um, oh. Let's uh okay so let's 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 spin it forward here since we're both kind of in agreement that uh, the stars should be looking ahead. Um, so the trade deadlines in a week and. They have a lot of guys that could potentially be interesting to teams as rentals. I mean, I know that you've outlined in the past Johnny Oduya as a potential guy who could uh, his his deal is expiring and he's mm-hmm. you know his underlying numbers aren't very good. So I know that people are generally skeptical of him, but he's one of those guys that kind of fills in the category of he's been around for a long time and coaches seem to trust him and rely on him in, in tough situations, which would be interesting for a, a contending team that might think they're, you know, one or two uh, reliable pieces away from taking that next step. Patrick Sharp's also available. I mean, you have guys mm-hmm. like Cracknell and Korpakoski and Hoodler well, obviously for, for lower prices, but I mean, our, our Cracknell our, won't go anywhere because he just got into a six week injury. Mm, yeah. Unfortunately, I feel really bad about that. Yeah. Like he was one of my favorite, he was one of my big bright spots for this season. Fourth liner, just again, kind of like, like Fox Alight mm-hmm. could move the play up ice, not necessarily always going to score for you, but always move the play up ice, just very earnest game. So I really, really was a big fan of him. Yep. And, and, you know, people say that about Odia's numbers, but, and yeah, his relative Corsi this year is like negative one. 
but it's really not that bad. And and if you look at his overall numbers, they're they're generally quite good. He's good at playing in a system, um, and most contenders have a decent system. So and he's a pretty decent penalty killer in general. Um, so he definitely has value. He definitely has has worth. I think, and and I think the name is really what I would be trading on. Right. And the rings, like that's what you got to do. Well, the weird thing, with, the, the weird thing <laughs> with Oduya is that last year during the postseason, I I really enjoyed that combination of him and Stephen Johns for a while there. And mm-hmm. um, if you look at their numbers this year, like yeah, I'm a big Stephen Johns fan, and and it's his it's night and day between when you look at how he's done with pretty much every other partner and how he's done with Oduya. And I feel like a lot of that is probably just usage. I, I imagine because Lindy mm-hmm. was probably relying on Oduya to to play the the minutes, and no one else really wants to or can. Yeah, and and you're 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 spot on with that. The thing about um, so I've done a lot of like work with analytics and trying to like provide better context of what should be expected. And so what you find, and you know, zone starts aren't a great stat, right? But we have them, and especially when you look at them from an all situation standpoint, they tend to help you say, okay, this guy guys does a lot of power play time. This guy does a lot of penalty kill time yep. because you always start in one zone or the other for your face-offs and so when you look at all situations and uh, relative zone starts your first pair defensemen almost always have very high ones right because they tend to play a lot of uh, power play time yep and then your middle like kind of 50 percenters that's your third pair and it's your second pairing guys who are your penalty killers Almost exclusive, like as, as a rule, you know, obviously there are exceptions, but so when you see guys who do take on the brunt of that kind of defensive zone stuff, it's almost always going to be your second pair. And that's almost always what Johnny Oduya has done. So yes, there's definitely like, he's not your best guy for driving forward offensive play, but he is pretty fine. Like he's fine. He's not going to, he's less likely to mess up. And he's also less likely to make a brilliant play. Mm-hmm. You're just perfectly fine for your second pair. Which is perfectly fine for your second pair. And frankly, what you want from a penalty killer. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so the guy we didn't mention amongst that list of guys that are available and should conceivably be uh, trade targets is Patrick Eves. And um, I, he's been a bit of productive middle six-ish guy for years, when, basically whenever he's been able to stay on the ice. And I mean, yeah. his, his 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 beard. I mean, uh, I feel like <laughs> I feel like I could do a full full podcast on that thing alone. So I don't I don't even want to uh, open up that box right now. Let's talk about purely Patrick Eves the player because uh, I think <laughs> I think the Stars have done a, a really masterful job here, whether it was intended or whether it was just a kind of accidental byproduct of positioning themselves to really cash in on him as a as a rental piece of this deadline because i mean he has 21 goals and i i feel like a lot of teams are still gonna at, at the point where they just look at something like that and think well you know we need an offensive punch here at the deadline let's just bring in patrick keys look how many goals he scored without actually looking at the fact that a ton of them have come on the power play and he's had this 
power play oriented usage which he's never really had in his career prior and and i, I don't think anyone really expects that patrick he's is suddenly uh, a 30 goal scorer at, at, at the age of 33 when he's never really done it before but i mean we, we saw it happen with michael bodker last year where you know he was obviously younger and held in higher regard mm-hmm. but the coyotes just gave him a ton of these power play opportunities and he cashed in just purely on a raw volume basis and they were able to get an intriguing package for him and i think that eves should fetch something interesting as well yeah, no, I think he's definitely probably our biggest chip that we've got this year. Um, I hope that whoever, you know, pays for him uh, understands the power play thing because I don't, I mean, I like the guy so much. Like, he's just a great guy. And I, you know, I, I'm so happy that he's like hitting these career highs right now that I want him to be successful. Um, so yeah, I, the thing is, he's a great, I feel like he's actually a really good player on any line. He does what he does. And he's very much a net front presence kind of guy. And those guys are typically going to help you score regardless. His, his shot is fast. Like you never actually really see him touch the puck. Mm. He just shoots every time. So he, if you're there, if you're a team looking to get shot volume up and you put him on a line with any sort of playmaker, you'll be okay. Um, but if they just are like, okay, we're going to add some depth scoring. Let's stick him on a line with like, you know, two guys who can't skate and none of them who can pass. You're not going to get anything out of him because that's what he does is he shoots really fast and he also goes to the net and you've got to have somebody who can kind of complement those skills and he's great on the power play like i mean i would never want to have a power play without him (laughs) yes i also hope he doesn't go to a team that has like a no beard policy or something that would be a disaster right leafs are right out yes yes and and the other thing is i mean he's playing on an expiring one million dollar deal which is extremely appealing for you know a team that might be right up against it cap wise it's pretty easy to to fit yeah. in and whereas a lot of these other guys that could provide relatively similar production that are going to be available are going to come with much heftier price tags oh for sure i mean I, I was looking at that the other day and a lot of these guys who are the big names are going to be quite expensive especially with you know because some of them are still under contract like if you're looking at the avalanche you're looking at Landeskog, you're looking at Duchesne. Well, not only do they have the cap hit for this year, but they're under contract for another couple of years. Yes. Um, and so, yeah, I definitely think Eves is going to be a huge, huge piece for us. But, I mean, we're hearing rumblings out of, like, a lot of the beat writers. Uh, Mike Heike was saying that they really don't think anybody's off the table right now because of just how bad the season has, has gone. And so I don't know if, you know, I'm really hoping that's not the case. Um, I think there's some really good key pieces um, but there's definitely, we definitely need to make room on the blue line. They've carried eight defensemen, nine really, if you count Honka, who's in the AHL, uh, all year. And that's causing a lot of churn for everybody. Uh, I mean, Lindy's got to shuffle his pairs because he's trying not to sit people for too long. And then also you've got these young guys, mostly rookies, who don't want to get scratched. You've got Jamie Alexiak, who, you know, he was a first-round pick and he doesn't want to be labeled a bust. You've got Patrick Nemeth, who just wants to play hockey, you know. And so there's a lot of... The blue line is too crowded right now uh, with nine NHL players. And there's something to be said for having depth for injury, but also you've got to be able to have some sort of at least like level set, you know, kind of expectation of what's going to happen. And right now they don't. 
I think you got to make room for uh, Alexiak regardless of how well he's playing, just because there's few things that make me happier these days than when uh, when he does something good and and, and Razor just kind of freaks out and just you know calls him Big Rig and just does his whole <laughs> does his does his whole Alexiak spiel. I feel like it's. Uh, you know what? We've done like thirty plus minutes here, and we haven't even brought up Razor's name yet. But I think he's uh-huh. been the uh, he's been the Stars MVP this season. You know what? The the, the only thing I could potentially see fueling a Stars miracle run is that man they needed an emotional win for that Dave Strader yes. comeback game. Yep, and they earned it. Like the Stars have really looked beaten down this year Mm -hmm. and most of it is no one's fault i mean it is hard to come back when they're i think they are third in the lead for man games lost right now something like that and they're first or second in cap hit loss so expensive guys yep and that game against tampa bay they weren't the best. They weren't the best team on the ice necessarily. They definitely it was pretty even up until about midway through the second, and then Tampa took over. But man, if they didn't for once look like they cared, and that was important and good for Stars fans to see. And so I think if anything could could turn this season around, possibly it'd be that game. But frankly, I'm. You know, the logical part of me is like, no, you've got to sell your pieces. Well, you've got to sell your pieces. Yeah. So, well, you know how when sometimes when people try to like quit smoking or something, they like listen to those uh, tapes while they go to sleep to try and like brainwash them a little bit. I feel like maybe if Razor like recorded some of those for them to listen to before <laughs> bed every night, you just get like inspirational talks. I feel like that could go along. You way. know, he has like his own like post game show that the Dallas Stars put on their website, right? Does he? I didn't know yeah, that. like it's the the Razor's Wild West Emporium. Oh my God, what does he do? Does he just sit there and talk? Usually with a cigar and a glass of scotch. <laughs> Sometimes he'll do it from the bus on the way to the airport too. Oh God, I love Razor. I wish I wish he'd answer my calls. I want to get him on the show, but I feel like I I put him I put him off when I asked him uh, if he'd if he'd adopt me as his son. So. Uh... I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see what happens with that budding relationship. Um, before I let you go, I did want to quickly uh, talk about something that we were discussing earlier uh, on Twitter, and I wanted to save it till we got into the show. And it was sort of just the concept of um, cap management and how much you're paying out certain guys and what you're paying them for and stuff like that. And I, I, I thought that'd be an interesting way to end the show. So do you want to get into that? Sure. We've got time uh cap management is tough i guess mm. is, I, I mean that's where i'll start <laughs> yeah yes yes i agree uh, with that i think um i'm always of kind of two minds about this i grew up actually my stepmom is a uh a lawyer a labor rights lawyer so obviously i have a lot of like i you know, remember from childhood her complaining about things that are unfair towards workers and stuff like that. So I see it. I see a lot of it, and I I get really angry about certain things, um, like when uh, like Kucherov contract this year. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's oh Steve Eiserman. <laughs> but then I I mean I also see it from Steve Eiserman's perspective in that he's got all of these really talented players and seventy three million dollars to work with. Um, and so he's got to put some pressure on somebody somewhere to try and make up that that money. Um, I think it's really difficult to try and figure out 
figure out where you go once you get outside of forwards, because it's pretty easy to figure out, you know, this guy is going to put up more points and drive more play for us. And it's really easy to, to identify individual actions that forwards do that drive play or that, um, uh, you know, help the team and stuff like that. Points are obviously the biggest one, right? Yep. But once you get into defense, then you're looking at like, okay, well, what does this guy do for me? And when you talk about defense, almost exclusively your defense against numbers, your shots against numbers are going to be system driven, like the bulk of them, right? And then there's going to be maybe one or two shots against above or at, are under that are talent. And the that's where the bulk of it is. And so then you go, okay, well, how much am I going to pay for those two shots against that I'm saving by having this guy if he, especially if he doesn't put up offense. Right. And so you have that and then you get to goalies and then it gets even worse. Yes. Yeah. Well, I, I think this is something that um, most fans, most casual fans at least don't really recognize. Like it's, it's one of those things where you know, they complain about if a player is holding out for more money or something like that. It's like they're complaining, they're complaining about how the, the player is being selfish or money hungry or something like that. It's like you realize that they are, I feel like I'm always on the player side in any contract negotiation or anything like that, because especially when they come into the league at a young age, like, first of all, they don't get to pick where they play, which seems crazy to me. Yeah. Like I'm a, I'm a big, uh, kill the draft guy. Like I, I, I love, I love, I love the, the spectacle of it and the event of and everything that stems from that. But I mean, if you're just looking at it from like a big picture human rights perspective, I feel like, uh, the players should be able to pick where they play, but forget then, you know, they have this sort of restriction on how much money they can make for the first handful of years of their career and all this. And it's like, it's a great asset for the team. There's no doubt about it, but from the player's perspective, I think that they're woefully underpaid, especially the top guys. It's just, yeah, um, we need to sure. figure that out eventually. ELCs are basically free money. For yes. Yeah. That, that's what they're, they're free production. Um, and especially with what we know about aging curves uh, with, I feel like uh, there's, there's definitely, so for, for forwards and defensemen, we are pretty, pretty well sure that, you know, your peak age is going to be closer to 23, 25 yep. than it is going to be to 27, 28, which is really when you get your UFA years. Mm-hmm. Um, what really kills me is not only do they have the draft, but then they have restricted free agency. Yes. That's what gets me like, <sighs> It's just loving insult on injury, right? Like, not only can you not pick where you go, but you can't pick where you go until you're 27, yep. basically. Yeah, and, and I mean, look at, like, Jacob Truba, for example, this year. I mean, he missed the first however many games because he was holding out for an opportunity. I mean, even beyond the money, he wanted to play somewhere else where he could get more minutes and more usage yeah. and a bigger role. And eventually he just had to take this like preposterous deal where for the next few years he's making peanuts compared to what he's actually deserving as a player and a contributor. And it's just like, I feel like if you look at that and I, there's people that are, I'm sure think that, you know, the jets were in the right and Jacob Trubo was, was just dead being detrimental to the team and being way too selfish and looking out for himself rather than everyone else. It's like, I, I, I just don't understand how you could look at that situation and, and have that as your conclusion. No. Yeah. And that's, and, and so going back to Kucherov too, right? So Kucherov is legitimately one of the best scorers in the NHL, yep. right? 
And so, you know, I, I, I got a little bit heated about it. And then people go, well, he can just go play in the KHL. Yes, because that's the same. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I, I get that he, at least he speaks the language, but like, also, no. Yeah. Like, that's, it's, the KHL is not the same level of talent. It's not the same level of spectacle. It's not going to be, I mean, it's a different ice even. Like, I mean, it's just not the NHL. There's a reason that Yevgeny Malkin basically bailed on his country to come play in the NHL, and that's because it's the best league. And if you can cut it in this league, you should be in this league. Yep. Yep. I, uh... And the fact that they're what really I think is going to be interesting to me is this upcoming negotiation for the CBA. Um, so one of the things that kind of got glossed over a little bit in this whole um, do we go to the Olympics or don't we go to the Olympics saga was the idea that the NHL floated to the NHLPA extending the current CBA for a couple, for I think it was two years, one or two years, to allow players to go to Pyeongchang. Yeah. And the NHLPA turned them down flat, as they should. Uh, and so what I think the NHL understands is that they're basically, you know, screwing these young kids, you know, Johnny Gaudreau, Kucherov, uh, Truba, right now. Everybody in restricted free agency right now. Last CBA, last lockout, you had guys like Taves and Crosby leading yep. the charge. And they had already signed their long-term con. Well, Taves had his second, like, Bridgie deal, but it was a decent deal. It was a six-something deal, six-five, I think. Mm-hmm. Right? So, like, it's, he's not, like, upset with where he was monetarily. But then yeah. you've got guys like, but this coming one, those guys aren't going to be leading the charge. Those guys are going to be the old guys. And yeah. you will have, you'll have Kucherov in his prime. You'll have Gaudreau in his prime. You'll have Truba in his prime. And those will be the front running, those will be the faces of the NHLPA that the NHL is going to be trying to negotiate with. And so, yes, maybe they will try and pay it. Maybe they'll pay it forward again. Like, we had to pay our dues. You guys have to get screwed, too. But I have a feeling that this is going to come back and bite them in the butt. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna be missing some games in the future. Um, I, For uh, sure. Yeah, it's uh, mm-hmm. it'd be it'd be foolish and uh, naive to think we are we aren't. But uh, you know what? We've already talked about Dallas Stars twenty sixteen seventeen season. I feel like that's enough uh, depressing discussion for one podcast. Um, Carolyn, where can people find your work online and uh, and check out what you're doing? Um, so I am currently the managing hockey editor for FanRag Sports. So you can find all of my work over at FanRagSports.com. Um, and you should also check out, we cover the entire NHL, um, and women's hockey. We cover a lot of women's hockey as well. So, mm-hmm. and where can people find you on Twitter? On Twitter, I am classlicity. Yes. Cool. Okay. Uh, well, I definitely recommend everyone, uh, checks out your work and follows you on Twitter and, uh, let's get you back on the show sometime here in the near future to, uh, just chat, on, chat about whatever. Uh, <laughs> okay. Thanks for taking the time and we'll, we'll talk soon. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Cheers. Thanks. The Hockey PDO Cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDO Cast. <laughs>